This is episode number 243 on the Rising Man podcast with Chief Philip Scott. Rites of passage are a birthright for all peoples and nations. What's up, fam? Welcome back to the Rising Man podcast. My name is Jetty Azuma. I am your host for today's episode and delighted to bring back a guest who's been on the show many times before. Perhaps you have not heard of him yet, but the man is Chief Philip Scott. He has walked the native path for over 30 years, learning from and sanctioned by traditional medicine, holy people, tribal spiritual leaders, shamans, and elders from several indigenous cultures. Annually sun dancing in the Lakota tradition for over two decades, Chief Philip Scott is a ceremonial leader entrusted to share indigenous wisdom and traditional healing practices with the contemporary world. In addition to directing and teaching the programs at the Institute in Northern California, which he founded in 1994, he maintains a private healing practice, performs ceremonies, lectures, conducts intensives, and leads pilgrimages worldwide. In this episode, Philip shared with us his perspective on rites of passage. Obviously, if you've listened to the podcast, if you're involved in the Rising Men movement, you know that rites of passage is a core instrument we use in our work with men. So getting that indigenous perspective and the source of indigenous wisdom from Chief Philip Scott, who's been entrusted to carry these ways, was really informational. We outlined the life story, the timeline of a human, and the different rites of passages that are necessary to have at certain intervals. Chief Philip brought in some of that wisdom from the different varieties of traditions that he's experienced, and also gave some deeper context to why boys especially require rites of passage and what the impact has been of boys and men in our society not having these traditional ceremonies. We talked a little bit about why these ceremonies and traditions are no longer practiced, why so many of us have lost sight of them, lost track of them, were never modeled these rites of passages or have them shared or passed down to us because they were lost in all of our ancestry. But that there is evidence of rites of passage for every single one of us, regardless of where we trace our ancestry to. We also spoke about how valuable it is to reintroduce these practices into our society moving forward, how it's a multi-generational mission that we have, that we're not gonna reintroduce rites of passage for all peoples on this planet in just one lifetime, but that truly at the end of the day, it's all about legacy. That and so much more, without further ado, Chief Philip Scott. All right. Chief Philip Scott coming in from Novato, California. Good to see you. It's been it's been a while since you and I've got to connect like this. I'm glad to see you and to talk about some great stuff. Likewise, Jetty, and I miss you. We need to have you come back at least visit California periodically now that you're situated in in Austin. You come back and spend time with the indigenous peoples of the Miwok coastal coastal Miwok, Pomo and Ohlone peoples that you were embedded in here for for many years yes well i despite despite popular opinion in our family sometimes i i love california and and i do intend to come back it just hasn't quite fit in with the plans just yet but uh, the feeling is mutual um i'm excited to have another conversation with you here today i know some folks who will be listening to this haven't gotten to uh experience you on the podcast or anywhere else before I'll record an introduction of you, which people will hear before we get started. But is there a brief introduction you want to say about yourself so people have some context of who you are? Uh, so um, I'm known as Shokoakan Sapa, which is Lakota for Black Horse. And that name was conferred upon me ceremonially uh, by one of my elders who has since made his journey into the spirit world. 
And uh, I reside here in the San Francisco Bay Area with the indigenous peoples that I've just recently decided, uh, who are the original caretakers and stewards of this land. And um, really honored to to be able to be in this particular sweet, uh, amazing watershed. And uh, founder and director of Ancestral Voice Institute for Indigenous Lifeways. And next year, we will be celebrating our 30th year anniversary of... Uh, of this work and this way of life that I endeavor to share. And I'm also a, a member of respected traditional medicine families and uh, conduct, you know, uh, sacred plant medicine ceremonies. And so that's kind of a brief, brief introduction and I'll leave it up to you to do the rest. I, I would say that's a, a very brief flyby of your accolades and who you are as a man, but we'll give everybody an opportunity to get to know you through this conversation, which today we're uh, diving more deeply into rites of passage for those folks at home who are familiar with the rising man. Our core mission is to initiate an entire generation of men into purpose-driven leadership and stewardship of the new earth. And I know that that's something that also resonates deep within your heart. Uh, but I'd love to hear your definition as, as a man who's been deeply connected to indigenous ways, especially here in North America and the tribes who've been here for many, many years. What is your uh, either definition or context when people ask you about rites of passage and or initiation? Mm -hmm. So for me, rites of passage are actually embedded in our DNA. And they are the thresholds through which we pass in our journey as a human being. And so there are essentially five primary rites of passage, right? So we have birth, that's the original rite of passage. And again, these rites of passage are not just for the individual, but they also involve uh, a family and involves a community as well, and sometimes an entire nation. You know, so birth is the original initiation, right, where we come from the other realm, from the spirit realm, the dream time, um, beyond the stars. And through the gateway of the womb, we emerge into this earthly plane, which I regard as classroom planet Earth, right? And in traditional indigenous cultures throughout the world, that birth is celebrated ceremonially. Right? So that's the first rite of passage. And then the second rite of passage occurs um, for a, a young girl who has her first bleeding, right? Regarded as moon time, right? And there are ceremonies to celebrate her shift, uh, which is actually a biological initiation from a, a young girl into becoming a young woman, therefore with the capacity to carry life through her body. And again, traditionally with for indigenous cultures throughout this globe, there is a celebration and a ceremony that's associated with this transition, right? For a young boy, uh, there's going to be an initiation into becoming a young man, right? And usually most rites of passage, particularly for young men, involve a form of sacrifice and privation of some sort. It could have been fasting, out alone in the in the natural world, for example, for maybe a, a, an overnight, for example. Um, there are other initiations uh, from many different nations that characterize a shift. And it's often an ordeal, if you will, right? It's some kind of uh, 
of, of, of challenge that the individual must endure. And as a consequence of uh, proceeding through the ordeal, then on the other side <clears throat> is a celebration and a new vibration, right? There's a, uh, oftentimes there may be a new name that's associated with this individual who has gone through this, this shift. It often involves the inculcation or the education of what responsibilities are now embodied and entrusted, right? So a young boy has different responsibilities than a young man. Right. And so in the course of that rite of passage, <clears throat> there will be a transmission of what their responsibilities are, maybe from uh, their father, their uncles, their grandfathers, right? Their, or whoever, or whichever men are associated or encircled within this rite of passage for this young boy. Mm. So that's the second. The third rite of passage is marriage, right? And marriage is the unification of two souls, right? So two individuals, and again, it's not contingent upon identity at all. Um, this is two souls who coalesce. They literally, through a vow, through a commitment, they coalesce their energies into one. So the singularity, the I, becomes a we, right? And there's also a unification of lineages, right? So families are also united through that vow and that commitment, that covenant that is being witnessed by also the ancestors and the source. That's a really important aspect of rites of passage as well, is that there are divine and sacred components, right? So it's not just on the earthly plane of awareness, but rather the the spirits, the ancestors are invoked, the creator and the earth are also there to witness this, this shift, this transition. Okay. And then you have uh, often the shift into eldership, right? So for women at the time when perhaps there's no longer the bleeding, the moon time, right? When that, that, uh, that blood is internalized, right? That medicine that's often given to the earth in the moon time ceremonies is then embodied internally. And so then the woman moves into the sacred crone, right? To the grandmother energy. And then for a, a man, <clears throat> usually it's another uh, rite of passage. It's another ceremony that's done to confer the responsibilities of eldership, where he, he, he may be a grandfather now or be invited to the elders council uh, to share his wisdom with the community as well as with future generations. And then finally, the final rite of passage that all human beings uh, experience is death, right? So when we take our final breath, when we no longer step upon the earth who has been kissing our feet every step we take, then there is a movement of our spirit back to where we came from. We go home. And that is also ceremonies that are um, associated with the dying process, with the moment of death, as, with, as well as with bereavement that occurs afterward, right? So this entire journey of our, of our humanity, right, is characterized by these rites of passage where there's also energetic shifts, Right, so we move into new levels of responsibility, energy, awareness, in terms of our human trajectory, and because the cravings for rites of passage, which also involve witnessing, mm -hmm. right, witnessing of a community, the witnessing of the ancestors who observe uh, and maintain the container for the ceremony to take place, um, 
it's it's important for this witnessing to happen, right? So that individual is seen and for that shift energetically to take place. And when these rites of passage are not present, then there's often a compelling urge to create them oneself. And that's why we have gangs, for example. But the problem is, if you have individuals from a similar grouping or age grouping, they cannot initiate themselves, right? That's the responsibility of parents and elders to witness and also to bring in the energetics uh, because they're coming from a different vantage point, right? Mm -hmm. So it's difficult for children to raise themselves, right? There's a reason why we have elders in our lives. Well, we have medicine teachers who have walked the path before us, right? So if we don't acknowledge these rites of passage, right? And we see this paucity of rites of passage in our culture today, then then individuals are lost, and we see this, right? We see the gangs. We see um, also the mitigation of anger and aggression, particularly with young boys and to young men, right? So it actually also helps the healing uh, of the father wound, for example, right? So there's a way that these rites of passage um, allow for a maturation process, right? that allows for healing, forgiveness, and a mitigation of frustration, anger, aggression toward the feminine, toward the earth, toward one another. Uh, And you see that happen when these uh, initiations are properly performed and executed. Well, let me me jump in there, Chief. First of all, that was such a wonderful synopsis of the stages of life and how they can be broken up very distinctly into these, I think of them as chapters. A lot of times when I'm trying to convey rites of passage to people, I, I tell them to imagine your life as a, as a book, the whole book of your life. And, and at the intervals of each chapter is where a major transformation occurs and there's identity shift and everything you mentioned in terms of responsibilities, the way that the community views this individual as a completely transformed person from before that transformation and beyond it. Uh, I really like the way that you captured it. There's a few pieces I want to pull out of it. We'll, we'll probably keep coming back to that over overall synopsis. So for f- the first part was right in the beginning. You mentioned the indigeneity of rites of passage. And, and I think that resonates very much with what I've learned, what I've studied, what I've been taught by my other teachers, that Rites of passage is really a birthright to all humans on this planet. And no matter where our ethnic or racial roots come from, there's evidence of rites of passage going back all the way to the first humans. So whether you're born, your, your genetic DNA comes from the African continent, or if it comes from the Asian continent, or all these other parts of the world have evidence of these traditions and these ceremonies albeit many of them in their own unique way that was relative to the land and to the style of life that they had in those places. But I I usually tell people that, especially where we live here in the Americas, the result of colonization where our DNA traveled long distances, I usually say that these rites of passage, these traditions, they they fell off the boat on the way here. They, they, They didn't make it over for multiple different types of reasons, mostly because of colonial influence. So the fact that you say that this is a this is 
an, an indigenous part of us. It's native to who we are as a species on this planet. What, what is the deeper context behind that, especially for folks who maybe weren't raised with ceremonial rites of passage? Well, the implications of the lack of remembrance of these rites of passage, which are ubiquitous, right? So if we even look at, say, for example, uh, European indigenous traditions, there was also the acknowledgement of rites of passage and their performance. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and so, you know, when the movement came here to North America, I mean, obviously, with the 500 plus nations that already existed, here in Turtle Island, when the colonizers arrived, well, they too had their, their rites of passage. Uh, but the implications are precisely a, uh, you know, what we're seeing in our society today, right? The fundamental um, destruction of the earth, right? The uh, disrespect toward the feminine, um, the, the, the youth basically being lost in some kind of way, unable to determine or understand their identity. And of course, I'm not referring just to their, you know, uh, sexual orientation, for example, right? And we're talking about the, literally, the the ability to discover who you are, right? So <clears throat> these rites of passage, you know, allow for the, the shift of one's perception of oneself into a new way of being, a new way of seeing, a new way of living and experiencing in the world. And so, um, you know, even the, the the beauty of the indigenous cultures is that there is the um, this expansive breadth of possibility for who you are and who you dream to be, right? So. Rites of passage, because there's the sacred dimensions, also involve dreaming, right? So, even for example, during birth, when when a woman is is carrying uh, a child to term, you know, the elders counsel will ask her what she's dreaming regarding the soul that she's carrying, right? So that there can be support of helping that that soul to to live and remember uh, the original instructions, you know, mm -hmm. the reason. It's in the mission for this being coming here, you know, and when that young boy, for example, moves into young manhood, right, and receives the instructions and the teachings from from the earth, from the ancestors, from the source, as well as from the circle of men uh, who are there present to guide this being, to help them to heal and to cultivate that that relationship, to have reverence and respect for the earth and for all life upon her. I really like what you're saying there. It, it makes me think, I often reflect on, on this, right? If we, cause we have historical evidence that lets us know when certain peoples were traveling from large land masses to other ones. And it often struck, strikes me when I think about how quickly we can forget that it really only requires a few generations for a people to completely forget who they are. And I don't know if it's a famous quote or if it's some wisdom that's been passed around, but that the quickest way to control people is to, for, to cause them to forget who they are and where they come from. And it really speaks to the essentialism of having this identity, this, this connection to where we come from. 
And so often I talk to people about what we do uh, in Rising Man and the rites of passage that we offer, that we're giving an opportunity to people who did not, who were not raised this way, who don't have other ways of accessing their own traditions or other traditions for being initiated into adulthood, even if some of these men are in their 30s and 40s and they never got to have that experience. But as soon as we start to speak about what we're doing, that we're clearing out all of the noise so that an individual can create conditions for clarity to connect to spirit, connect deeper within themselves. And I like to say, turn up the master volume and really hear what that voice is saying about who I am. People start to get it. Even if they don't have a spiritual practice or a spiritual context or reference for their life, they understand and we connect with it energetically. And obviously Mm -hmm. by the end of that experience, it's like you said, remembering there's something that gets awoken in peoples when we do this thing that our ancestors have been doing ever since we've been here. We just forgot how to do it. So, so I really love what you're saying there. And specifically the rites of passage for boys. I love how you walked us through the timeline and the different stages of life. One of the things I think is so challenging for boys in this journey uh, to make it into manhood is we don't have the same biological indications that females do, uh, biologically speaking. So I wonder Mm -hmm. what's the wisdom or what's the story around that? You know, I obviously, (laughs) we don't know what nature's great mystery has in store for us, but what's the teaching around why girls and female women have that biological indicator, but the boys and the men don't? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, as, as you were saying, you know, the remembrance comes within that DNA, right? And, you know, John Trudell, the great uh, Lakota poet and activist from the American Indian movement would say, uh, descendant now ancestor, you know. So within our DNA is this fundamental remembrance of these rites of passage that that earmark, you know, are the are the signposts of our human journey here. Um, So, I mean, ultimately, it's kind of a mystery, you know, uh, in terms of the, the differences between you know, genders when it comes to the rites of passage, but you know, for those that who are womb carriers, right, then there's the, the coming of age, right, where the young girl is then blessed with the ability to have the first bleeding and as a consequence can then carry life through her own body. And so, uh, because that is a profound shift, right? Just like at birth itself, right? So if we think about understanding the transition from being within the womb and then emerging into earth, there's an elemental shift that takes place from being a water aquatic breathing organism to an air breathing one, right? So it's a profound elemental energetic shift that takes place, right? From, you know, feeling the waters in the lungs, being surrounded by the amnion to moving through the journey of birth, which in and of itself is a teaching, right? If you think about it, when, you know, the it's a, a vaginal birth, there's literally a series of contractions and releases, right? And that's actually also teaching that being that through life, there's going to be periods of contraction and release, there's going to be times of conflict and times of peace. So it's actually uh, a part of the embodiment somatically of our awareness of what that's like to move through the canal, the birth canal into the world, right? So there's a profound teaching from that rite of passage in and of itself, right? 
and then prayerfully to be welcomed by a community who see that the soul is here to bring blessings to the world, right? So that's really what a young girl is going to experience, right? It's her turn to uh, bring life through her body, right? The, The experience of pregnancy, right? And as a consequence, there's a whole series of responsibilities that mothers and aunties and grandmothers are there to impart to this this young girl uh, as she moves into young womanhood, right? <clears throat> so men don't necessarily have that such a profound biological initiation, right? It's just not the same, which is why it's much more subtle, but it still exists, right? You see this maturation process also happening with young boys, right? And normally, it's it's the responsibility of the father, the uncles, the grandfathers, uh, the other men that are a part or, of the community to observe the subtle changes that are taking place for that young boy. Maybe there's the beginning of a change in the in the voice, right? Perhaps there's the emergence of hair underneath the armpits, maybe a little bit on the chest, maybe just a little bit of peach fuzz on the face, right? There may be hair growing in other parts of the body as well, right? So that's part of the observational process, right, of tracking our children, right, in their own growth and their evolution. And so when those things start to happen, particularly with the change of voice or or the, the noticing of different hair emerging in other parts of the body, that's when the elders are going to sit down and say, it's time. It's time for this young boy to become a young man, right? And uh, that means that we let go of the childish things, right? I mean, that's one thing that happens through this this ordeal, this rite of passage, that how that young boy was allowed to behave is no longer acceptable, right? And therefore, the community is in collusion with each other to ensure that this rite of passage is observed and enacted and um, solidified, right? So, for example, I just came back from Australia not long ago, uh, where I was collaborating with Aboriginal nations. And uh, we were doing, uh, I was invited to do a tree planting ceremony because we're rematriating the rainforest in Australia there uh, due to large swaths of land that have been cut within the rainforest for farming and agricultural purposes. And so um, there's organizations that are working in alignment with Aboriginal nations to ensure that the the rainforest can return to its original state. And so I had the chance to uh, first request permission of the Aboriginal nations to conduct a ceremony on the land that they are entrusted to care for and to steward, um, and was warmly received by them. But we had a chance to speak about the rites of passage, and um, you know, and unfortunately, as kind of as a ubiquitous phenomenon amongst Indigenous nations, some of these ceremonies have been lost, right? But uh, there's a, a drive and a, a real push to to resurrect them again, to bring them back. Right? Yeah. So the Aboriginal nations 
you know, you have what are called the lawmen. And the lawmen would come into a township, you know, come into a village. And because they're known and revered and feared um, for basically holding down sacred protocol and, and sacred law, they would come in to call the teenage boys who were ready for moving into manhood, right? And of course, maybe you saw your your older brother go first, and so you know that your time is coming, and so the lawmen come, and you're terrified, right? Because you really don't know what's going to happen, because your brother came back, and he's not the same person anymore, mm-hmm. right? And so, of course, the entire community is in on this. So the lawmen come in, and of course, the mother's saying, don't take my boy! And of course, there's a lot of drama, right? Testosterone begins to build, right? There's there's fear, there's anxiety, there's chaos, right? And of course, it's all an act, right? The mothers, the aunties, the grandmothers, right? The community, they know what they're doing, right? Which is to help this young boy, right? And so the lawmen take the entire assemblage of boys out into the bush. And they go through privation. They go through fasting. There's actually sometimes bloodletting. There's a sacrificial component to it as well, right? And then, of course, there's always a transmission the teachings of how to conduct oneself as a young man and a a growing man in the culture, right? And so the initiation is complete and the young men return. What's really also important within the community is that they are no longer regarded as a boy. They have another set of responsibilities. They're addressed in a different way. They're treated in a different way. And that involves the community to be a part of that process and that the way that it solidifies that transition. And so that's a really key piece that you know, I want to share with you and our listeners that um, it does involve the community's cooperation and participation for this change to be uh, lasting and to alter the baseline from which this young man now operates. Yes, uh, that's what I kept hearing in what you were sharing is the importance and value of community, uh, starting with the fathers and the uncles and the grandfathers. And if we're trying to read the tea leaves and and investigate the breadcrumbs as to why these traditions have fallen away and also had a hard time making a resurgence, is that there's um, what uh, there's a man named Bill Plotkin. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but. Uh, a man who's a psychotherapist and also uh, deeply involved in rites of passage practices who identifies it as the bottleneck of adolescence that's occurred for boys. And that without having models and examples and strong masculine figures inside of the community, observing, witnessing, determining the readiness of a boy to step across that threshold into manhood, then it creates this backup. It's like an, literally like an accident on the highway that funnels everybody into one lane. And we've all been there before that it's, it get, we get stuck there and then we're stuck in one spot. And obviously thinking of the cyclical nature and life is always moving, water is life. When it's not moving in that direction is where dis-ease starts to happen. So I really like that you spoke about the importance of the older male masculine figures and role models for these boys and their role to identify the readiness in in those boys that yes based on either what we can observe visually what we're experiencing from how this unique person is showing up in the world 
there's indicators that say, okay, it's time for you to go through this ordeal and demonstrate your preparedness for greater responsibility. It's it's so simple when we boil it down, when, when people really get to understand what this is for and the function it has in the, in the healthy and normal evolution of a human being, there's that, oh, well, duh, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. But of course it doesn't exist here. And, and we can, it's not a mysterious puzzle that we have to put back together, but certainly from that place, thinking about the solution, right? And this is why, at least within Rising Man, we've focused our efforts on initiating a generation of men. I'll say very personally, when I started doing work like this, I I immediately said, hey, we got to go work with these teenagers. We got to help these young boys make their way and find their way into healthy manhood. And what I realized is I could spend all the time I wanted with those young boys who were ready, who were ready to cross that threshold. But looking across the other side of it, there were no men. There was no examples. There was nobody for them to be received by or to model what being a strong value-driven man looked like. So that was when as an organization, we we kind of jumped the timeline a little bit, said, hey, we gotta, we gotta go and initiate some of these fathers and uncles and and <clears throat> that example for these youngers to follow. So obviously I, I've talked about this a lot from my personal experience here. I'd love to hear your perspective on how can we go about reintroducing these practices in a way that sets us up for many generations into the future. Yeah, so, you know, what you're uh, essentially detailing is a snowball effect, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have a a group of men who haven't been initiated themselves, then they can't initiate the youth, Mm -hmm. right? And if you have elders that don't know their responsibility, for example, to the youth, they're not walking their own wisdom way and imparting their wisdom to others, right? If, if that hasn't been also inculcated in them, then we have a society that is lost, right? And this, this spiritual bottom, bottleneck that's happening, as you, as you rightly mentioned. So um, my encouragement is for all of our listeners to become initiated, right? Whether it be through the Rising Man, which you know I, I respect and honor you and your work and and your organization, you know deeply. You know, also it's possible to seek out traditional medicine people, right? That's basically for me. You know, Rising Man didn't exist when I was a young boy and a young man, right? So, fortunately, I sought out traditional medicine people, whom I apprenticed with for many many years, and. I went through the privations and the rites of passage and the fasting and the bloodletting, you know, through the Sundance and through other very challenging ways. And that was my initiation because it also allowed me to heal and to forgive my father and, you know, his um, anemia, right? His anemic way uh, because he was uh, riddled with his own wounds that never got healed, right? So as a consequence of the rites of passage that I accepted through the mentorship that I and the apprenticeship that I became involved in with my traditional medicine teachers, um, I also, it, it creates healing, not just for myself, but it ripples to my entire family, right? So there was healing that took place for my father as a consequence of the initiation that I, uh, that I endured, right? 
And so that's really the key is that um, for those, say, in their latter years who may have not grown up into a rite of passage um, because their elders didn't know, then to seek out organizations like yours or, you know, to uh, undertake traditional ceremonies with myself or with other a bona fide you know, and qualified medicine people to experience those rites of passage, to understand that shifts that take place energetically, right? Because there is a very profound transformation that takes place, right? And um, then eventually, through proper qualification and training, then one can initiate others, right? It's obviously not an automatic where you experience it once and then are qualified to be able to guide others through that journey. Mm-hmm. But through proper training and uh, education and the sanction of one's blessing, you know, blessings of one's teachers and elders and medicine people, then a time can come when they are granted permission to be able to initiate others as well. Right? That's the process of that, that journey of training. That's required, right? And it's never too late. I think it's important for our listeners here to know that, you know, if you were deprived of that opportunity um, due to the lack of awareness of your elders, then it's never too late. One can always undertake rites of passage because when we're in those rites of passage, because it's ceremonial medicine, it's in the timelessness. So there is no past, there is no present, there is no future. So in that moment, it actually is all times, right? And so that can be healed. Yeah, and I love that you brought in that element of timelessness because that's that's always the hardest part for me to describe. <laughs> imagine, I'm sure you have the same challenge as well, trying to describe a, describe a rites of passage or initiatory experience to someone who's never witnessed it or gone through it themselves. It's like trying to tell someone what ice cream tastes like when they've never tasted it before. You don't know until you know. Um, it's a funny metaphor, but you know what I'm saying, that it's, 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 a, it's an ineffable type of experience. And that timelessness is really critical. I think if you look for these, the evidence in these other, all these different forms of tra- traditional ceremonies for these rites of passage, that, that experience of being in that liminal space that in between worlds, as I've heard it described sometimes, where there's a certain access to the library of wisdom that is universal, that we all have access to if we create the conditions for it. And it's not a complicated formula. It's a formula that's withstood the test of time, right? You said privation, some element of solitude in a natural setting, uh, stripping away some of our comforts and life-sustaining resources that bring us closer to that veil of death, that closer to that veil of the spirit world where we can tap into some of those frequencies. That's the, that's the baseline formula. And each peoples over the course of time have added their own pieces and elements to it that make it sacred to them. Um, But that that part you also mentioned about it never being too late for somebody. Uh, One thing I love about what we've been able to offer in Rising Man is that we've had um, we've had a man as old as 72 come out and have his first rite of passage experience with us, which was amazing to see that. And the way that that is uh, reversing some of the ancestral uh, patterns that had been created and creating new ones for him and his family line. And then uh, another handful of men in their 50s and in their late 40s 
who are in a, you know, closer to elderhood than anything, but recognizing the value of being seen and witnessed as fully claiming their responsibility as an adult. So um, any other words on that piece? Because I think that's so important to speak to. Yeah, so um, it's the numinous, right? It's the ineffable, it's the unseen. And that's really what is the fundamental characteristic of a rite of passage or, or any ceremony, right? That we're transcending the ordinary realm of time and space to be able to commune, literally communicate with the with the source, with the earth, with the ancestors, to understand the languages of nature as well as the language of the sacred, right? And that's really what uh, is the guidance, right? That's what we're opening up. That's the doorway. I mean, and it is indigenous science. It is a science, and it's going back for thousands of years, right? So there was this understanding about, I mean, the the elaborate ceremonies and protocols are there for a reason. It's not something arbitrary or that's contrived. Literally, they're passed down generationally for thousands of years because of the precision energetically of that science that allows for those doorways and those epiphanies to open in such a profound way to receive the guidance and the counsel from the source, the earth, and the ancestors who are fundamentally all that we ultimately have, right? Everyone else is really part of our human journey here, but fundamentally, we are accountable to the source, the earth, and the ancestors because they are our guides to help us fulfill our mission and purpose. So these rites of passage, particularly for our youth, really set the precedent for them to understand what they're here to do and the gifts that they are to bring to the world for the benefit of all of us, right? And when those, when they're deprived of those rites of passage, we all suffer. And we're seeing that suffering play itself out in our contemporary world now. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, it's it certainly feels at times, I'll speak for myself, like a very big mission. And I recognized early on that there's no way. Actually, I did the math one time. We we were we were leading a compass and we had a, a group of guys out doing their fast. And I was sitting there with my other guides and I said, okay, well, our initiate our, our mission is to initiate a generation of men. Okay. So that's hundreds of million of millions of people. All right. So if I did, if I led a couple of these every year and we did the math really quick, said, okay, wow. So if I'm lucky, maybe I'll be able to do this for a, a few hundred men. That's that's barely putting a dent in it. It's significant, but recognizing that yes, this is this is not just a one generation of a mission. This is a multi generational mission to reintroduce us to our communities, and not every not every human is will accept it either. And, and knowing that part, so how, how do you look at that when you really zoom out? From and, and take a bigger perspective. I mean, you're, you've you've got a few years on me, so you're even even closer to thinking about how how much more impact can I have on this generational problem. So I've you know I'm turning sixty this year, and um, I've been taking a look back at my legacy, you know, and 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 what have I shared? What have I contributed with the world? And know, from the time that I was granted permission from my medicine teacher to teach and to share, 
and to conduct ceremony traditionally. Um, you know, literally tens of thousands of people have participated in my ceremonies. And several hundred students and clients have been served uh, in some way, shape, or form, whether it be through tutelage or through receiving healings. And as was shared with me recently with a colleague of mine, he says, um, there's obviously more that can be done. And you've done your part. Mm-hmm. And you will continue to do your part. Right? And I think the key, you know, for you and, and all those who have tremendous passion and purpose and ambition to change the world is it's literally one person and one group at a time. You know, and um, because of the 8 billion plus people on this planet, will we be able to touch everyone? And the answer is not directly, Hmm. right? But indirectly, right? Hmm. So obviously because of the gift of the internet, because of this podcast, you know, it's out in the World Wide Web, right? And Grandmother Spider is weaving these connections together. Right. And that's the gift, too, because your message can go out well beyond those whom you may have direct contact with. Right. But is it realistic that eight billion people will be able to come and do a rite of passage with you? And the answer is no. Right. Or then they can come to my, you know, small, humble abode here. I wouldn't be able to fit eight billion people in my home. Right. But nevertheless, we can transmit the message. We can share the medicine. And for me, the individuals that can glean from your teachings will be the ones that come and whom you directly serve, right? And it's being satisfied with that. You know, I think about, I reflect upon all the holy people of the world. And, you know, Jesus Christ had a small assemblage, right, of individuals who were devoted to him, right, and who carried on the teachings when he made his journey, right? Same with the Buddha, right? You know, the Buddha was peripatetic. He traveled around extensively, right? And he would share, but there was only a handful of people that truly received enlightenment from him, right? And then they become the bodhisattvas and the Buddhas, and they continue the message so that literally, what, I think eight or one billion people on this planet practice Buddhism today, right? And so, uh, through through your heartfelt intent, through my intent, we're making a difference, right? And uh, we're planting seeds, and perhaps even some of those seeds you will not see emerge in your lifetime, but perhaps, you know, your children will carry on that, you know, will allow that stock to grow stronger in their lifetime, right? But yeah. through the work that you're doing, you know, we're... We're making a difference. And just by, I believe that by just sharing this understanding about the the potency and the importance and the necessity of rites of passage uh, for the health of not only individual, but our families, our communities, and the entire nation and world, right? I think we're beginning to move in a favorable direction. Yeah, well, I love what you shared there. I 100% agree. That was something I had to reconcile within myself a while back. And it truly, you mentioned the word legacy. 
And I think about what really motivates me underneath all of this. You know, oftentimes people ask me, what do I do? What's my purpose? What's my vision? Why do I do it? And always it comes back to giving my children the best life that I can and, and setting them up as best I can. And I energetically, I take responsibility for more than just my own children. I've got a, a whole litter of puppies that I call nieces and nephews who I'm looking after and the men in our community whose children I may not have even met that I consider children. These are our children and we need to do our best to set them up. So having my son, especially Sitka, who's going to be eight really soon, you know, the vision I always had was him to have these, these uncles first and foremost, who can observe that readiness in him and who can initiate him when the time comes and that he'll have that in a way that I didn't, that I, that I had to go looking for myself and that my other nephews will have that as well. And obviously for for the girls, for my daughter, for my nieces, that they also have the the women holding that down for them as well. Um, that's really what I care about at the end of the day. And, and I know I do, I really do trust that that is going to have ripples far beyond what I'll ever get to see on this side of the moon. I look forward to the rite of passage for your son. And you know, I pledge to be there. Uh, when that time comes, I think I'll still be uh, alive and kicking at that time. At least that's my prayer. And so when that time comes, I'll be honored to witness, you know, his his initiation and his uh, transformation into becoming a, a young man. He's also he's already an amazing boy, and uh, following with you know, obviously he's got a good role model already with you, you know. So um, it's. Uh, it's going to be magical as well as, you know, with Itzy, I look forward to, you know, supporting her and her time of transition, you know, into young womanhood when, uh, you know, because it is an entire community that, you know, both, you know, all genders are represented in these communities for these rites of passage, you know. So, um, as I said, when that young boy comes back, the women are also there to, you know, acknowledge what, uh, acknowledge that initiation that he went through. You know, so it is the entire community uh, is uh, a part of that of that journey because everyone is impacted and affected by this rite of passage. And that's the beauty of it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, um, grateful for your support and uh, hearing that prayer. Um, yeah, I often envision that in my own mind and, and so grateful that Sitka has so many wonderful uncles and, and Nancy as well, uncles and aunties who are looking out for them in that way. Um, it's been a wonderful conversation with you, Chief Philip. I really appreciate the wisdom that you've shared on this really important topic, not just to myself, but to this entire community. Is, are there any punctuation marks or any last points of emphasis you want to put on this conversation as we bring it to a close. Uh, thank you, Jenny. It's always an honor to share with you and your community and our community. Um, well, I look forward to also being at uh, an initiation that you're going to be undertaking, right? Taking your own journey to the next level as well. So I'll be honored to support you in that endeavor. Uh, as we continue, you know, the rites of passage never end. Right. There's always more for us to explore and to grow and to expand. Uh, so, you know, wherever it is, you know, on this spectrum of your human journey, you know, there's the rites of passage that we can undertake. And, uh, you know, 
I just, again, reinforce that it's never too late, you know, and to, to seek out, you know, those who can support you and, and support our listeners on their, their journey of awakening, which is essential. And that's, I mean, I really do believe that, you know, I often reflect upon this, that, you know, if individuals really engaged in a sincere, sacred practice, you know, on a regular basis, um, because there are certain values and, and a code of conduct that we observe and follow. Um, you know, if if everyone had these rites of passage, for example, um, or everyone was engaged in, in sacred practices, then the world would be very different than what we have now. And uh, that's my, you know, I mean, I know in the Asian tradition, they talk about the Shambhala vision. You know, so the Shambhala warrior. So I speak about awakened warriorship, right? If we all embrace awakened warriorship, then the world would be a very different uh, place and playground and arena and classroom that we would be in. And so um, as a consequence of, you know, those that don't embrace it, it means that we have uh, our work cut out for us and we have a lot of work to do. And that's part of the passion and the purpose that uh, is we never extinguish, you know, it's, it's always there. Wonderfully said before I cut you loose, um, would you just mind sharing any, any information or access points that people can come and connect with you? Um, whatever your preferred mode of connection is, just let the folks know. Well, I'm delighted to say that my new website is up and uh, it has been created. Uh, I'm really delighted and pleased by um, what's been crafted. So that's www.ancestralvoice.org. And uh, I'm going to be actually having another website up. Um, that'll be philipscott.co.co. And um, that'll be up on Friday. And so uh, we're going to have both websites up and running. And um, lots of programs available. Uh, I am accepting new uh, apprentices and students for my Indigenous Lifeways program. It's a good time to, to join us. Um, lots of ceremonies, particularly right now, because we're getting ready for the summer solstice. And so as of even tomorrow, I will be in ceremony every day through Monday. Um, and so people are welcome to join our ceremonies. And there's information on the new website about that. Um, other ways to connect with me is by phone, 415-310-0981. I love to talk story, so people can text me or call me directly. Uh, I'm certainly always open to all conversations. Um, and then there's a Facebook page with lots of information about the ceremonies, and uh, they can also find me on Instagram. Uh, Ancestral Voice One is uh, the uh, my, uh, I guess they call it my handle for Instagram. And um, also uh, LinkedIn, right? So I'm I've actually joined the social media world, Jenny, and uh, so all are possible. And uh, I'm currently to, starting today. I'm going to be creating a, uh, a YouTube channel, and so we'll be doing podcasts and videos. And uh, I'm being interviewed for a documentary that's coming out. So there's a lot of horizon you know, here. Very cool. Well, I'm impressed by the spread of 
tech updates that you've gotten. Um, if you start talking about ceremonial AI or you tell me that you've got robots tending fire for you, I, I might I might start to question you. <laughs> <laughs> you know how I feel about these robots, Chief. Um, but no, that's wonderful. I'm glad to hear that you're out there. And, and we'll certainly put those links and resources in the notes for everybody to go find them if you couldn't write it down. Uh, Chief, I look forward to being with you very shortly in the near future and praying with you and future conversations, which I'm sure are bound to happen here. So I am going to be traveling to Denver. There's a conference. It's a psychedelic therapies conference uh, that's being uh, hosted by MAPS. And uh, yeah, I uh, just heard about some uh, people that are trying to interface with psychedelics and AI. And I have a little bit of uh, hesitation about that. Let's just say (laughs) That sounds like the first scene in a sci-fi futuristic Terminator style movie, but well, <laughs> I, I, tr- I trust you to go out there and to intervene in a, in an honorable way. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm going there to really kind of hold down the indigenous voice and perspective that is really doesn't have the same kind of representation uh, in this movement, mainly because, you know, for indigenous people, there's no renaissance with psychedelics and theogens, right? I mean, sacraments have been a part of the indigenous experience and way of life for literally millennia. So, um, yeah, I think it's important for that, that to be understood. And so I'm looking forward to being able to interface and engage with people and, and help them to remember, you know, the genesis of where it all comes from. So. I respect the way that you do that chief. Uh, appreciate you being here and look forward to seeing you in the very near future. Likewise. Thanks a lot, Jetty. you enjoyed today's episode make sure you tune in each and every week when we drop another episode of the rising man podcast as always thank you for your support wholeheartedly sharing and mentioning rising man everywhere you go we're truly gathering steam as a community as an organization and as a people creating a new way for us to live and operate in the world as purpose-driven leaders and men so thank you for your support in whatever way you're doing that and thank you for tuning in each and every week until next time rise up and claim your destiny